0: Oh
1: Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and our background music for much of today's show, like right now, is ukulele music in recognition of WMNF's 7th annual ukulele festival called You Get Out. It's happening this Saturday, December 3rd at Cage Brewing from 3 to 9.30 p.m. A total ukulele extravaganza, Dozens of uh, a dozen or so ukulele performers and bands. Free ukulele lessons, Jerry Garcia of the Ukulele Contest, tons of other kind of fun, all from the fevered imagination of the fabulous flea. Again, this is the seventh annual one, so it's been a blast for several years. People love it. So go to WMNF.org and find out how you can get your tickets, and don't miss out. And uh, again, we'll hear some ukulele music along the way here in today's edition of Talking Animals, where our guest today is Alexis Telfair-Garcia of Austin Pets Alive, or APA, the Austin Animal Shelter with a reputation for innovation. And sure enough, Telfair-Garcia is a social worker APA recently hired. This hiring places APA and Telfair-Garcia at the forefront of a new trend of animal shelters adding social workers to their staffs. Reflecting those shelters' awareness of the profound link between humans' welfare and pets' welfare and taking this step to improve circumstances for all concerned. Telfair Garcia arrives at APA with seven years of experience as a forensic social worker. ...applying social work basically to issues involving law and legal systems. Following a stint on the leadership team at Big Brothers Big Sisters NYC... ...Telford Garcia's hiring represents APA's shift towards a so-called case management model... ...essentially meaning families are treated as a holistic, holistic unit... Rather than pets and people being divided into separate categories for support. In this forthcoming conversation with Telfer Garcia, I'll ask her to further explain how that model works, describe some of the programs she's developing in her role at, at APA, and more. I'm going to speak with Alexis Telfer Garcia in just a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Later in today's program, I'll speak with Jan Heckner of Dogs Mo- Dog Moms of Tampa Bay, which is hosting the forthcoming Holiday Market. A dog-friendly extravaganza being held this Saturday, December 3rd at Ferg's Sports Bar and Grill in St. Pete, featuring more than 50 local vendors. We'll learn more about the holiday market and about dog moms of Camp Bay, for that matter, later in today's program. Right now, though, let's discuss this notable new trend of animal shelters hiring social workers with one of those social workers, Alexis, with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813 239 9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813 433 0885. This is Alexis Telfair Garcia on Talking Animals on WMF. Good morning, Alexis. Good morning, Duncan. Thanks
2: for having me.
1: Oh, thanks so much for joining us on Talking Animals. It's really great to have you here, and I really, really look forward to finding out a lot more about this whole new concept, but, and we'll spend, of course, a lot of our time today discussing your role at APA and the innovation it represents and the programs you're creating and developing for the shelter. But I think it'd be helpful to start kind of by finding out about your pre-APA life. What prompted you, for example, to become a social worker initially?
2: Sure. So um, I grew up in a household that really believed in serving its community. My mom was a teacher for many years. Um, my dad spent a lot of his time volunteering for... Uh, baseball league, he was my coach for a while, he did a lot of stuff in the community, and it was something that was always a part of my life, Mm -hmm. and it was something that was very important to my family, and so being a social worker um, was always something that was kind of in the back of my mind, even though I didn't as a kid necessarily know that it was social work, Um, and as I got older and I got more interested in working uh, specifically with people and kind of at that time in the justice system and all those sorts of things, that's what brought me to... Uh,
1: social work. So it sounds like you had great models in your, uh, in your mom and dad in terms of serving the community and, and uh, you know, public service those kinds of things. Was there a social worker somewhere in your family that, that kind of gave you sort of a specific impetus to say hey you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by good people doing good work within my family but here's, here's a specific job or career that maybe um, would be kind of the path I might want to explore.
2: No, there really wasn't. I didn't grow up knowing any social workers or knowing kind of what that really meant. Um, Once I got my B.A. in forensic psychology uh, at John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York City, I kind of thought, you know, I think I want to work with kids. I want to give back in that way. Um, And my first real job outside of undergrad was Big Brothers Big Sisters of New York City. And I started off as a program manager and worked my way up uh, through leadership leadership. And I was there for about 10 years, and um, that was kind of where I had kind of found this love for social worker. Amongst uh, the team there, many of the staff there were social workers, and it was there that I decided I wanted to pursue my master's degree in social work in my career.
1: Okay, well, that makes sense, because typically for something like that, there's usually uh, a model or, or someone that, that strikes you and, and it's like, hey, I, I, this is this may be the place for me to go. Uh, and it sounds like that's kind of what happened over your over your years at Big Brothers Big Sisters NYC.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, they they really set the stage for my entire career and, and this idea of, you know, how important it is to look at the community as a whole, to look at the family unit as a whole, not just the individual.
1: Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit more just because uh, it sounds like even even as an undergrad, forensic uh, psychology was, was your major, and can you just talk a little bit more about what being a forensic social worker really involves, since that sounds like kind of was what what you were really focused on before you moved into um, uh, the world of uh, animal shelters, which we'll, of course we'll get into specifically in a moment.
2: Sure, so um, forensic social, worker, uh, social work kind of came up after my career at Big Brothers Big Sisters. I had already been working with children in their juvenile justice program, um, working with kids who had a parent that was incarcerated. And so really kind of the nuances of the justice system was something I was very interested in. And from there, I got the opportunity to be titled as a forensic social worker at Brooklyn Defenders, which is a uh, public defender office out in Brooklyn in New York city. And I was there for about four and a half years, I I believe. And so um, I was working with public defenders to help negotiate uh, plea deals, to help advocate for clients in terms of, you know, if, if a certain client needed drug treatment, um, if they needed family services, if they needed services that really didn't um, require incarceration, right? Incarceration was not the better alternative in a lot of cases. Yeah. And so I advocated with them to kind of make sure that they got the best possible outcome for their case and for their life, right? Incarceration can lead to a bunch of, uh, negative outcomes for a person. And so our, our jobs was to kind of mitigate that outcome.
1: So it sounds like whenever it made sense, and in most cases it did make sense, to try to, like, steer away from incarceration and say, well, here's here's some alternatives, here's another path we could go that would probably be better for this person's future.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There are so many times, and I think there's a, a common misconception that, you know, if a person commits a crime, It must be because they're an evil person and there's just so much more to it than that. Right. And there's so many other things to think about their family. We're breaking up a family system. When a person goes, uh, becomes incarcerated, we are putting them in a system of, uh, being in poverty, right? They're, they're coming out and they're homeless. They're unemployed. If they're incarcerated for a large amount of years, then they are losing out on so many years where they could be getting educated, where they're gaining those life skills that they need to be successful later on in life. And so if there's an alternative to that, we want to try and make that happen for them.
1: Yeah. And so uh, when, you, when you see the phrase forensic social worker, does it always pretty much imply that, that the, it's, uh, the core of it is going to be involving law and legal systems and some of the work that you just described? Uh, is that, in a sense, what a forensic social worker basically does? Yes,
2: essentially. And there's many different avenues that a social worker could kind of... Um, go down yeah. in terms of forensics, right? You could be working for the prosecutor's office and, and doing more like victim services, right? And working with victims of crimes. There's a bunch of different avenues. Um, but that was the, the path that I chose and the path that I felt like was best for me.
1: Yeah. Seemed like a good fit even your background and interests it sounds like for sure this is talking animals on WMNF I'm Duncan Strauss if you just tuned in my guest is Alexis Telfair Garcia a social worker hired recently by the Austin Animal Shelter called Austin Pets Alive or APA this hiring places APA and Telfair Garcia really kind of out in front of a kind of a newish trend of animal shelters adding social workers to their staffs which in turn reflects kind of those shelters awareness of the strong connection, profound connection, really, between the welfare of the humans involved and the welfare of the pets involved. So if you have a question for Alexis about any or aspect of this at all or would like to just offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at org, or text 813-433-0885. So before we move kind of into what you are now doing, um, let's... Um, Let's spend just a moment or two discussing, uh, I guess, an obvious topic, animals. So how how did you feel about animals growing up and beyond?
2: Yeah. So in my household, we always had animals. Um, I remember I got my first dog for my fifth birthday, um, and that was my dog all until I was about 16 or 17 years old when he passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, We had other dogs. We had rabbits. We had birds. So animals have always been a part of our family. Yeah. And even now, I, I currently have three dogs. All three are rescues, and so that, that tradition is being passed on to my children, and so it's really important for us.
1: That's great. That's great. Well, it's, I, I figured there had to be a pretty strong love of animals in there for, for you to know, kind of veer into the path that we are about to now kind of more specifically um, uh, discuss, but that that's great. Three three dogs, three rescues, that's perfect. So let's indeed turn to this new or, or relatively new um, job that you have at Austin Pets Alive. How did you first hear of, of this opportunity? Sure.
2: So prior to my work here at APA, um, I was a forensic social worker here in Texas uh, for the state's public, public defender office for um, post-conviction mm-hmm. appeal work. And so basically we were helping to overturn death penalty convictions. And that work is really heavy, and it's, it's very wow. rewarding when it does work out, but it can weigh on you emotionally. Um, and it, it takes me away from my family a lot. There's a lot of travel involved. Um, because we offered services throughout the entire state, we had to travel to wherever our cases were. So we're out in Dallas. We're out in El Paso. We are all over the place. And even though I'm stationed in Austin, I was probably in Austin less than anywhere else <laughs> where I was supposed
1: to be. Oh, isn't that the way? Lot. Yeah. Yeah. And was, yeah, it, was it was it tough. strictly uh sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there, Alexa. So I was just gonna say was it strictly the the focus of your work was strictly uh death penalty cases and, and, and overturning them or not?
2: Yes. Yes. Wow. It only works with people who are currently on death
1: row. Yeah. No, I would mm-hmm. think that would be uh that would almost inevitably take a toll over time. Um like what what percentage uh were there of cases that were indeed overturned through your through your and your colleagues' efforts,
2: well, that the, that process takes a really long time. It takes years. Yeah, and so I was with the office uh, for about two years.
0: Okay, and
2: I probably was able to follow through with two cases, um, and one of them had been overturned. But our case, at the the office at the time was serving about, I think maybe forty cases. Wow. So it just depended on on where you were in the process when you joined the team.
1: Yeah. Wow yeah that sounds that sounds taxing especially if in those two years really we're just kind of able to work on two cases it shows you how how widespread and kind of grueling the the work is
2: yeah definitely intense work and so you know I had decided that you know I just wanted to slow down a little bit um, and I wanted an opportunity to find more joy in my work mm-hmm. right death penalty work can be very sad um, and, and, and it's just tough yeah and so when I started looking for different opportunities, but still in social work, right? Like the, the call of a social worker is to help vulnerable populations. And I still wanted to do that at the core of who I am. That's, that's the work that I love and that's the work that I want to do. Um, and so when I started looking around, APA came up and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. A social worker working at an animal shelter, like what is that? Right. That was the first time I had heard about it. Um, and so I, I, I thought to myself, you know, this could be a really opportunity to be a part of something new and innovative and something that not a lot of people are doing. Um, in all my areas of work, that's something that's been very important to me to be a person that kind of paved the way
0: mm-hmm. for people
2: coming up behind me. And so I, I applied and I said, well, you know, I got a good feeling about it. And I said, I'm, I'm going to go for it. And, you know, I, the rest is history. I'm, I'm with the team now, and it's been an amazing, amazing experience.
1: All right. We'll come back and maybe explore a little bit of that more. But let's uh, – we have a caller here. Let's see about getting someone else involved in the conversation. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Alexis Telfair-Garcia.
3: Yeah, I just got a quick question for you. It's uh, I don't know if it's pertaining to your subject right now, but is there some kind of a gene or something in people's uh, – where they can sense smell when you go into a lot of people i'm in a lot of people's homes in a week and i can tell the minute i walk in if somebody has cat and it is so pungent sometimes you can't even breathe in there but they don't seem like it bothers them at all is there is that a gene or something that they get used to the cat smell and they don't they don't they don't notice it, it doesn't
1: affect them uh, well, two, two quick things. One, that, yeah, that's uh, we're sort of really talking about this new trend of social workers being hired by animal shelters, so it's a little, little off topic. I will just say, at least informally, that a lot of that probably has to do with just becoming acclimated if you're the person with the cats and the litter box, whatever. Yeah, I was you, always you,
3: wondering that because, yeah. I mean, if you walk out and if it's a humid day, that smell gets into your clothes.
1: Yeah, it can. It's very pungent,
3: you know?
1: Yeah, no, and it's 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 like many things that if, you, if you're if you not around it all, all the time, which you're clearly not, and you go to visit someone.
3: Well, then, let, then let's send out this message to everybody that has cats.
1: <laughs> Clean
3: your cat box. Okay. Your family and your friends, when they come into your house, can smell it, and it makes your house smell dirty.
1: Okay. So, all right, well, we performed another uh, additional public service here today that I wasn't even expecting, so thank you for your call. <laughs> okay. All right, thank, thank you. you. Okay, Alexa, sorry, right back to our conversation. So when you first heard about this opportunity at APA, um, was it like really spelled out like what, what the job was going to involve? Or, or because it was new and sort of the whole idea of this is new, was it kind of a little bit more broad and it was partly up to maybe you and other people perhaps applying to, to kind of help define what the, what the, uh, the position would, would involve?
2: So I think the role started off kind of pretty broad, specific in some areas, but I think it was specific in terms of like, we want to be more in the community. We want to uh, be known as an organization that also helps people, right? And so what was great about it is that in speaking with our CEO, Dr. Jefferson, she was really great about, you know, encouraging me to present my ideas, right? And, And kind of say, hey, you know, you are the people person. We are the animal people. How can we work together and kind of bring this to the forefront, right? We know that human uh, welfare and animal welfare are deeply intertwined, yeah. even though they, they, they've they been forced to kind of be separated, right? And so uh, she and I worked together a lot during the hiring process to kind of really fish out what it is that we can do, how can we kind of figure this out and really make it um, something that, the nation could look to
1: as a model for the work. Yeah. Well, that must've been even more exciting because I mean, again, it it was sort of a new, new idea. The position, at least there was brand new. And one of the things you've already noted is that you, you're kind of attracted things where you can kind of innovate or pave the way. So the idea that you were kind of invited to help define what this position would really specifically involve must've been just really inspiring.
2: Yeah. Very inspiring. Um, just And because I hadn't worked in animal welfare before, this is my first position in animal welfare. Yeah. I mean, I was just so taken aback at, one, how hardworking uh, people in animal welfare are. They are some of the hardest people, working people I have ever met, and it was really inspiring. And um, it was also exciting to see how much of the problems that our pets face are so many of the issues that humans face, right? And we just don't think about it that way. And APA really wants us to start thinking about it that way. Yeah. Just, it, was, it was just exciting.
1: So what, what, what are two or three of kind of the more pronounced challenges that, that, that humans face that, that are also faced by, by pets that you kind of notice as you stepped into this uh, world?
2: Sure. So I would say the top things that come to mind when I think about um, issues that people face that then affect their pets are homelessness, unemployment, um, financial instability, hunger instability, mm-hmm. right? When people can't afford to feed themselves, they can't afford to feed their pets, True. right? And then they're put into a, a situation where if they have to surrender, uh, they might have to surrender their animal, right? And that's, that's, that's really sad. So now a, a, an, a, an animal who is loved and is cared for is now being forced to be surrendered and be in a shelter and then you know, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty there about what happens next for that animal and for that owner, right? When we think about um, unemployment and kind of like the tailspin that that sends people into, right? You're unsure of where your, your, your next rent uh, payment is going to come from. Yeah. How are you going to put food on the table? How are you going to continue to live your life, right? Yeah. All those things then trickle down to how we are able to care for our pets, right? And 95% of pet owners, Say that their pets are family. And so when we believe that our pet is our family, just like our family members, we make sacrifices for them, right? How many people are deciding to say, you know what, I don't have money to feed myself today, but I'm going to split this one meal that I have with my animal to make sure yeah. that we're both good, you
1: know? Yeah. No, it's it's, it's so difficult. And, and then, you know, you get into, yeah, the idea of just like uh, in that scenario you described where, where someone's unemployed and like, you know, food is tricky for the humans in the house and then obviously for the animal or animals in the house. And then you get into like the animals, some, something happens to get sick. Then you're looking at a potential vet bill and right. I, could, I could just see the, the tension and the stress and the worry and anxiety just ratcheting up. So Yeah, and
2: the decisions that
1: come with having to make those things, right? Yeah, No
2: one wants to see a member of their family suffering because they can't afford health care. It's the same exact feeling when we see that our pet needs care and we can't afford those veterinary bills.
1: Yeah. So, so it'd be really interesting to, to know like, uh, how, uh, under what circumstance, I guess, specifically that you enter the picture. Like, let's say that if my family and I come into the APA this afternoon, thinking about adopting a dog, um, would you enter the picture then or only after more circumstances were, um, about about our background, maybe we're made clear that you know, like we might need some help or we might be struggling a little bit, but we still want to adopt a dog into our family. Where, where how do you identify with? Uh, I'm sure the number of people that come in in any random day or week to APA to to adopt an animal. How how is it um, indicated to you that this is a person or a family that I should probably. Um, you know, maybe touch base with and maybe see what else I can do to to make sure this is an ongoing good situation for, again, both the animal side of the equation and the human side of the equation.
2: Sure. So I haven't come in too often when uh, people are coming in to necessarily adopt. I think where the staff here are finding me most um, useful is when people are coming in and they're, they have to surrender their animal, yeah. or um, they're finding that their animal is extremely unwell, and they're no longer going to be able to really care for them, so they're surrendering them, or that animal is um, is really sick beyond repair, and they're going to maybe uh, have to amputate a limb, right? Really kind of um, working with the person or the owner to really kind of get them through that grief and process yeah. what that really means, process what aftercare is going to look like, right? really talk with them about, hey, is this something that you can realistically do? They're very, very tough, emotionally charged conversations. Yeah. And so um, sometimes the veterinary team will find it beneficial to have me come in and kind of um, navigate those emotions with the owner. Yeah. So that way we have the best possible outcome, not only for them, but for the pet too.
1: So in that in that kind of situation, when you come in and they they have come in uh, to to the shelter, basically to say like, You know, we feel horrible, but we are here to surrender the dog or the cat or whatever um, because this, this, and this have happened and we just can't keep going. Um, So far, is your experience that they welcome your kind of participation or having already gotten to that point of making it what must be just a, you know, brutal uh, decision that they they maybe aren't necessarily always that welcome to, to re-examining their, their decision and seeing if there might be another way. How, how does that kind of play out so far in your experiences?
2: Sure. So I think a lot of the times the people that come in are really um, welcoming towards me and towards the staff. Okay. Um, I think that what they want is reassurance, right, that their animal is going to be uh, cared for in a way that they would care for their animal. And I, I, I come in, and w- along with the staff, right, it's not just me. We are talking about, you know, what are the next steps, yeah. right? What are the next steps for the pet? What are the next steps for you? And even before that conversation of surrender, right, we're having a conversation about what is it that you need in order to kind of maybe not surrender your pet.
1: Yeah, that that that's, I guess, a what I was more specifically target. interested in is, like, if you do raise, when you do raise that alternative, are people saying, you know, are they welcome to to discuss opening to, to discuss that scenario, or do they feel like, look, we we came here today because we cannot carry on? So kind of like, you know, hopefully never unpleasant about it, but but maybe just a bit less open to to the kind of suggestions you might have, just because they've already struggled so mightily to get to the point of making the decision to come in and say we we have to surrender the dog. Sure. Yeah, and
2: I think the conversation then turns to you know, these are the options that we can, we can um, present to you, right? And these are the pros and cons, right? A social worker's role is to give their client the most um, up-to-date information so that they can make a really informed decision. And so really having that conversation and showing them, like, these are what your options are. These are what would happen if you choose option A, option B, option C. Mm-hmm. What do you feel most comfortable with, right? How can we help support you in whatever decision you make? right? If we kind of feel strongly that maybe um, this decision is best, then, hey, so listen, this is what we kind of think in our professional opinion as a social worker and as the veterinary team, this is what we think should happen, right? But if you're not comfortable with that, maybe we can do something else and maybe we can get you to that point, right? Let's talk about it. Let's um, not feel necessarily rushed in making a rash decision, right? There's some cases where, you know, we need to make a decision now for the, the betterment of the animal. But I think it's really about taking the time to listen to the owner and really finding that medium um, space to kind of make sure that not only is the animal cared for, but when the owner leaves, they're cared for too.
1: Yeah. No, that's uh, that sounds really great, and it sounds like, <clears throat> again, most shelters... Uh, the, the workload, the pace, the stress, whatever, is so significant that while well, they would often attempt probably similar uh, remedies, they probably just wouldn't have the time and it certainly wouldn't have the training and, ex- and experience and expertise that you do to t- try to, as you said earlier, navigate around some of those emotional, very complicated issues and, and just the sadness and despair that's probably brought them there that day to begin with.
2: Yeah. And that's another aspect of the work too, Duncan. We are, I'm really working with the staff to help manage a lot of their stress, right? Social work is not easy work. You know, I think uh, some people could kind of come and think, oh, you're you're with the animals all day. It must be so cute to cuddle. But you're not seeing the care and, you know, that goes into taking care of these animals, the cleaning of the kennels, the feedings, the walking, uh, you know, caring for wounded animals, you know, the people here at APA are, are so amazing. They're doing such amazing work with the animals on a day-to-day basis. And that, you know, it emotionally takes a toll on you, right? Constantly seeing um, animals who are, are sick and need to be cared for and need to be managed um, and wanting to do our best work, right? We, we care for these animals. We want to see them thrive. And so uh, I'm really working with staff to help manage some of the stress that comes along with being um an
1: animal shelter worker yeah no that's great because as I'm sure you're already seeing up close um, you know compassion fatigue and a number of other things are so commonplace in those settings so I'm sure they must be so appreciative to have you there to to help kind of you know reduce some of those feelings that otherwise would go unchecked probably without an Alexis there yeah
2: as any um, helping profession and animal workers are a helping profession right it, we're so much more likely to experience compassion fatigue and burnout yeah. so it's really important that we're reminding our staff that they need to care for themselves too
1: yeah so or what we can uh, what we're already sort of discussing is that sort of some of the core elements of the case management model that that i mentioned in the opening uh, introduction to you and sort of what what uh APA's kind of hiring view represents sort of a shift towards that so-called case management model. Is that is that kind of what we're talking about, or what are some other elements that would help define that, that model?
2: Sure. So we are looking at a few different things. We're still in the beginning stages of figuring out what the case management model should look like mm-hmm. in a shelter, but I think what we're thinking about um, is mostly kind of, Taking on uh, an owner and their pet, seeing what needs they need, making referrals, um, referrals to outside organizations that can better uh, help and suit their needs, and then that follow-up care, right? Calling them up and saying, hey, how's it going? That referral that I made to you last week, were you able to go to your appointment, right? How can we help you um, continue to get the services that you need to get you back on your
0: feet? Yeah.
2: Um, the case management model is all about follow up. It's about consistency. It's about being uh, the person, the point person at an organization that you can rely on to help you have your needs met.
1: I see. So, uh, again, that's probably for a lot of people at, at a lot of shelters, that's probably different uh, experiences because, again, people are that otherwise work there or volunteer there, whatever the case may be, are just so overwhelmed that they might – intend to follow up with so and so about what happened last Tuesday, but and and probably will, but certain days, you know, they just might run out of time taking care of all the duties and then there's an emergency that no one expected obviously and, and then pretty soon that day goes by without the follow up with Mr. Jones or, or whoever it might be. Right. Yeah.
2: Right. And, and and typically animal shelters, right, their primary concern has always been the animal. Yeah. Which is Kind of how it should be, right? Sure. But what we're saying is that we can do more. We can help the animal and help the person that owns that animal. And by helping that person, we are then still taking care of that animal. So they both have to happen, and they both are connected.
1: Yeah. Let me... uh Reintroduce. This is Talking Animals on WMF. from Duncan Strauss. My guest is Alexis Telfer-Garcia, a social worker who recently started working with Austin Pets Alive, an animal shelter in Austin, one of the few in the country who have been adding social workers to their staffs, and we're discussing how that works and some of the impact for all concerned. We invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at WMNF.org, or texting 813-433-0885. So... In your experience so far, I mean, there's just I think a, a handful of shelters across the country, as uh, my understanding at least, that have done something similar to what APA has done in hiring you. Or, are they all pretty much the same reasons, as far as you can tell? I mean, are they having the same kind of impact that you're having so far, and, and kind of facing the same sort of scenarios?
2: Yeah, I've I've connected with a few other uh, veterinary social workers um, across the country, and it's been really amazing to kind of hear um, some of the work that they're doing. It's very inspiring. I think we, we've been able to kind of bounce ideas off of each other. Um, like a lot of other places, they are the only social worker on staff. yeah. And so they're kind of figuring this out too, as the same way I'm kind of figuring it out and, sure. and working with their teams to kind of figure out like, how can we be most effective in our work and how can we continue to do this work and still feel like we are doing social work and, um, and so, yeah, it's been great to kind of connect with other people, and, and they're, they're doing similar work. I think it depends on the needs of each shelter is different. Yeah. Um, and so there, there are some, some differences there that are kind of like, oh, well, you do this, and I do more of this. Um, but I think consistently what organizations are realizing is that they need a person that can help the people. Yeah. So that way they can then continue to help the animals.
1: Right, to kind of shore up. That one sort of link that has, you know, just necessarily not been part of the equation typically at animal shelters.
2: Yeah, um, it's all about the holistic approach.
1: So I'm going to take really another...
2: Kind of looking at, at the whole unit.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to take another caller. But how many would you say there are counterparts to you in the country thus far? It seems like just, just a handful from what I can gather.
2: Yeah, it feels like just a handful. I'm not really sure about a number, but it sounds like a handful.
1: Yeah, okay. Let's take uh, another caller. Hi, you're on... Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Alexis Telfer garcia
4: Working. I'm calling from my car. Okay. Yeah, you can hear me then?
1: Yeah, go ahead. Please, thanks. Great.
4: Okay. Um, first of all, I'm so excited to hear that this is happening and um, that such a position exists. And I haven't heard the whole conversation, but I'm wondering if you haven't asked, answered this already. If a person is homeless and having difficulty deciding whether to surrender their animal, and maybe they have to surrender the animal so that they can take care of themselves and get into a shelter, Um, is there any path where that owner might be able to get reunited with their animal after
2: they've been rehomed? I think that that really... Go ahead, ahead,
1: Alexis. Sorry, I was just going to say you're welcome to answer that now. Sure.
2: Yeah, I, I think that really depends on the parameters of the animal shelter. And what mm-hmm. their their rules are about, uh, kind of rehoming an animal or, or having that animal once it's surrendered get get reconnected with an owner uh, or a former owner. But I think that we need to start thinking about, you know, it's not about surrender surrendering your animal should not be the first option. And so we really need to think about ways that can say this pet has an owner that loves it, that cares for it, that. It should be. It should continue to, to remain with. And so, how can we then help this person find new housing, find right. um, employment, so that way then they can keep their pet, right? So surrendering should not be the first option.
4: Thank you. Yeah, right. we know somebody in that situation right now in Sarasota. So um, it was just interesting to hear you talk about it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank thanks yeah, for your thank call. You for your question. Appreciate right. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, So, Alexis, um, as far as your counterparts, and it sounds like we've established there's just a handful, but have you guys kind of uh, formed uh, an informal alliance, if nothing else, where you compare notes, and even though there might be things regionally and otherwise, like you say, from shelter to shelter that are different, I'm sure a lot of the core uh, challenges and issues and things that you guys are addressing are probably uh, significantly overlapping.
2: Yeah, they really are. I think we're talking a lot about compassion fatigue. We're talking a lot about burnout. Yeah. Um, We're talking a lot about the stress of being um, an animal worker. And we're talking a lot about the grief and loss that not only owners go through, but um, animal shelter workers go through, right, when an animal um, unfortunately can't be saved, right, or um, when an animal is really struggling in a shelter setting because it's just not a, a setting that's really built for animals to thrive in, right, and and that struggle that we kind of um, take on and that responsibility that we take on to kind of make sure that this animal gets all the care and all the love, and, and it's, it's really tough work. And so I think, yeah, across the board, what we're seeing is a lot of that compassion fatigue and burnout, and we want yeah. to really try to figure out ways to kind of uh, mitigate that.
1: Yeah, no, that seems like that would be super significant because, I mean, I can only imagine, I mean, you know, I I get super upset when I see social media or something else that somebody's lost their their dog or cat and they obviously usually tell a bit of a story about that animal and I think I don't even know the person or the animal and I'm super sad and upset. So then I'm thinking if I were in a shelter where again for you know various reasons obviously hopefully mostly just illness and and um you know things that just can't be uh, can't be fixed or, or, or healed you know those animals are euthanized i would just think you know over day in and day out week in and week out of that that those uh, folks working at that shelter just must be really just uh, so profoundly saddened on a regular basis that there must be significant grief loss issues there that are that are almost kind of specialized in a way
2: yeah or even when um we see that it doesn't work out with a family and. the in and, and a pet is returned to us. I, I think, you know, APA, we follow the no-kill model, right? And so we really try to exhaust every option yeah. for every animal that comes through our doors. And so, you know, it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And and I think our staff um, strives to do that with dignity, with grace, um, and, and by really taking a, a firm, hands-on approach. And so that's, that's a big responsibility for anyone.
1: Yeah. You know? And so, so far, uh, I think it's probably just been about, what, a couple months or so since you started the job. Is that right ab- about, Alexis? Or? Yeah, I just
2: I just started. Um, I'm coming up on my three-month uh, starting
1: point. Yeah. Yep. So, considering that, as we talked about earlier, that when the position sort of was first uh, announced and you were able to kind of help shape it a little bit, um, do you see now, uh, almost three months in, like some things that you want to further alter or adapt or add or maybe uh, subtract even for that matter that you think now having been on site and see day in and day out kind of what goes on um, so ways to maybe make your position more more effective or if you to be able to do more that that you want to do that maybe you've, you didn't necessarily anticipate when you began?
2: Sure so we are um, starting up a social work internship program we've already reached out to UT, the University of Texas and Baylor, um, about having interns come and work at the shelter and really kind of see what that's like. Yeah. And kind of also have social work schools explore what it is to be a veterinary social worker, right? Like this is an avenue that is, has so much potential and it's really, really um, exciting to kind of see like where it could go. Yeah. And so we really want to get students to, to be aware of this path of social work. Um, That's one thing we're doing. Another thing that we are doing is we're really building up a robust training program for our staff. Um, We want staff to have all the tools possible to be able to sustainably do this work and do it well, right? So we are working to train our staff more in um, the issues that are coming up, like we talked about compassion fatigue, burnout, grief, loss, um, you know, working with the public, right? And, And kind of being able in that moment to deal with, the frustrations that owners have and express to us, right? When they say, you know, I'm just so upset, I have to give up my animal, I don't want to give up my animal, right? And really kind of, you know, training them to to deal with, with that emotion in the moment, right? Yeah. Um, another thing we're doing is we are partnering up with a local foster care agency that works with foster uh, teenagers in foster care.
1: Yeah, no, this and sounds really...
2: Yeah, we're going to have an eight-week paid internship program um, where we match up those kids that are in foster care with volunteers here at Austin Pets Alive. And we are building a robust curriculum where we want to expose them to animal welfare work and the different career paths that they can take and also hoping to encourage the human-animal bond, right? In foster care, a lot of children have a difficult time Finding meaningful attachments to people,
0: yeah. but we
2: know that they can find those attachments with animals, and so we really want to um, play that up and, and really encourage uh, our participants to to find connections with animals, to be responsible pet owners, right, and then maybe essentially come and work for us, right? Yeah. Like let's let's see where this goes.
1: No, that sounds so great in so many ways. Uh, so many. Uh, so many people and or critters are being served in that sort of scenario. So that's just fantastic. But also the the idea of the social work uh, internship uh, with UT and other local universities sounds great too because it, the, the idea of getting this to be more commonplace, I mean right now what part of the reason we're talking is this is kind of at the forefront of a new trend and not that many places as, as you mentioned are doing this as far as shelters across the country. But I suspect that's going to ra- fairly rapidly change and that uh, whether they do exactly what, what APA did or other things, that more, more and more shelters are going to try to uh, bring in social workers, if, if not maybe just people, interns from local universities like, like the program you're establishing, just because it seems like all that would be is a plus uh, to, to everybody that, that participates.
2: Yeah, we're definitely hopeful, we're excited, we're looking forward to building those partnerships and and really kind of seeing um, this field grow.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, Alexis, we have just about reached the end of our time together, but it's been really fascinating to hear about this and it sounds like you're already doing great work and making a big difference. So this has been Alexis Telfair Garcia from Austin Pets Alive. The website to find out more about the shelter itself is austinpetsalive.org. And, of course, you know, social media you can check out. Uh, as well so alexis thanks so much for making the time to join us today on talking animals and uh, thanks for for already your great work uh helping uh the folks at uh, at the shelter um you know do things better feel better about things and uh just generally uh everybody's uh, i think feeling a little bit better about things with your with your uh, presence there
2: yeah thanks so much for having me duncan and for help spreading the word about the amazing work we're doing it's it's really great to have folks like you out there who are who are doing the work too behind the scenes. We appreciate you.
1: All right, thank you so much. Take care. Good luck, and we'll check back with you All maybe right. in a few months and see kind of what's been happening on this on this uh, this program. All
2: right, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Cool. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye. In a moment, I'll speak with Jan Heckner of Dog Moms of Tampa Bay about their holiday market happening this Saturday, December 3rd at Ferg Sports Bar and Grill in St. Pete, featuring some 50 local vendors. That conversation is coming up in mere moments. Right now, that we're going to step into the comedy corner. This is Zoltan Kazans with a piece called Cats Part 1 in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. I really am a boring person when I'm
5: home. I just hang out at the house. I hang out with my cat. I got a cat named Jessica. Uh, Thank you. I'm a cat person. Are there any other cat people out there? Yeah? Got some cat people here? Nice. I'm guessing the rest of you are dog people. Is that what it is? Yeah. 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 I'm not anti-dog. Yeah. Every time I tell someone I'm a cat person, i like, what does that mean, you don't like dogs? No, that's not what that means. It just means I like other people's dogs. <laughs> I like dogs, I just like them over there. And I'll play with them, but then go back over there. I don't like that kind of energy in my house. You know what I mean? That annoying dog, best friend in your face all the time energy? Just like, yeah! I love you! <laughs> You're home! Where have you been? <laughs> it creeps me out. I don't care for that. I don't like that at all. <laughs> just in your face? Like, you want to go out? There's a tree. I know this tree. You want to hang out at this tree? What if I just keep breathing into your face? <laughs> Ugh. All the time? No, thank you. That's why I like cats. Cats are more like, hey, what are you up to? Uh, never mind. I just remembered I don't care. Uh, I'll be in the kitchen. I'll see you later. I like that. I don't need a best friend at the house. I just need, like, an apathetic roommate <laughs> that sometimes wants to hang
1: out. That was Old Town Kazaz in today's Comedy Corner with a piece called Cats, Part 1, taken from his appearance on Dry Bar Comedy. And again, today we're hearing ukulele music in the background, specifically because we're gearing up for WMNF's 7th Annual Ukulele Festival. You could out that's happening this Saturday. December 3rd at Cage Brewing with all kinds of great ukulele bands and uh, performers and uh, free ukulele lessons and just tons of fun. So uh, again, check out WNF.org for your tickets and uh, you'll be happy. People have had a blast the last uh, six years, I know that for sure. So meanwhile... It's time to speak with Jen Heckner of Dog Moms of Tampa Bay about their holiday market taking place this Saturday at Ferg's Sports Bar and Grill in St. Pete. This is Jen Heckner on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, Jen.
6: Good morning.
1: Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Yes, of course. So tell me, first of all, a little bit about Dog Moms of Tampa Bay. How when did it start? And give me, give me the lowdown, if you could.
6: Yeah, of course. Um, So the Dog Moms of Tampa Bay is a volunteer-run, 501c3 nonprofit. Um, It started in early 2021 in the Tampa Bay area. And really how it started is um, sharing dog-friendly information. Um, Our founder, Zoe, was looking up all sorts of places that she could bring her dog and thought, you know, if I'm trying to search all this information, I'm sure plenty of other folks are as well. So she started this group to then be able to share that information of dog-friendly venues. Um, and then it really kind of elaborated into hosting monthly social events, um, really to encourage supporting small business, and then fundraising for local animal charities in Tampa Bay.
1: Wow. That's kind of a cool uh, story about both how it began and then how what it's become. That's great. Um, yeah.
6: Yeah, it's been awesome.
1: Yeah, so we'll delve into the holiday market in a moment. Um, but what are some other dog uh, mom activities and events that have happened as you guys have evolved into a slightly different organization with a, with it a sounds like a slightly different purpose?
6: Yeah, so we do monthly um, meetups, we call them, and we rotate throughout the Tampa Bay area. So we have five volunteer admins. Um, I cover our St. Pete market. We have two admins in Tampa. We have a Pasco County admin and then a Dunedin Clearwater admin. And our events rotate. Each month we change locations, so one month we'll be in Tampa, one will be in St. Pete, and we go to Dunedin. Um, but we host monthly meetups where we have local dog-friendly businesses donate raffles, and then um, everyone who attends gets raffle tickets and goodie bags with coupons and goodies from these local businesses that are all donated free of charge to us so that we basically spread the word about all these local businesses and have our followers support those local dog-friendly businesses as well. Um, And then in turn of all the monthly meetups that we do, we do one-off fundraisers. Um, For example, we go to, like, Dog Day at the Rays as a group. Um, We just went to a Dog Day at the Tampa Bay Rowdies game in September, and so portions of those sales are donated to local rescues as well.
1: Wow, well, that sounds like everybody's a winner, and that uh, all those all going ongoing scenarios. Because it sounds like they get to go to these things, uh, you get great loot, and if you're hosting them, you get you know great people coming through your doors and knowing about you that they might not have known about you previously. So, uh, sounds
0: absolutely sounds
1: super cool. So, and the uh, so-called admins, they 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 they're the person to organize each of these events as they rotate through the the five um, administrators. Yes, that's correct. That's great. Wow. And is there basically something every month from Dog Moms of Tampa Bay? Yes.
6: There is at least one to two events per month, Um, one that we host, and then usually we will tag on and co-host or um, be at some of the other dog-friendly events throughout the Tampa Bay area as well.
1: Great. And so I assume there's... Uh, both social media and probably a website where people could find out about those to see, like, what's happening this month or next month and that something that's right near where they live, for example, they can pop over?
6: Yes. So you can find all that information on our Facebook or Instagram page of the Dog Moms of Tampa Bay um, or on our website as well. We've got the upcoming events as well.
1: That's great. Okay, so now let's get into... uh, the big one coming up, uh, at least in the next few days, the holiday market. Tell me about this. What's what's happening?
6: Yeah, so this is the, the second time we've done kind of a market. Um, we did a Newport Richie market a few months back. Uh, but really, we wanted to give all of our local vendors that donate raffle prizes and donate swag for our meetups a chance to get in front of our vendors. Because at our local meetups, we don't allow anyone to set up booths. We just don't want our audience feeling like they're being solicited or have to buy something. So this gives all of our vendors an opportunity to get in front of our audience and be able to you know, sell to them, spread the word, uh, marketing, get their brand out there. So this is um, a dog-related holiday event. So every vendor is local to the Tampa Bay area and sells either dog products or something related to dog products. And it will be at in downtown St. Pete from 11 to 3, and we've got over 50 local vendors that will be attending
1: that. Wow! So basically, someone that's uh, hearing about this now, for example, um, can just turn up anytime between that that that, that range, 11 to 3, and uh, check out what the 50 vendors are offering, and um, and you know make their purchases accordingly or whatever. But it's probably great for holiday shopping or holiday shopping, I, guess I should say. And. Uh, <laughs> So you can find anything you want, but I, now can you bring your dog to this as well?
6: Yes, this is dog-friendly as yeah, well. Yeah, okay. So dogs are welcome to go. Um, Ferg has a small dog park there as well. Yeah. So your dogs can let off steam, run off leash, and then you can bring them shopping through all the
1: vendors as well. Well, this sounds really cool. So, again, that's this Saturday, December 3rd at Ferg Sports Bar and Grill in St. Pete from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. So... Uh, again, I think we just about reached the end of our time together, Jim, but it's um, one more time. It's Dog Moms of Tampa Bay. You can look on Facebook, Instagram, or their website for information about this forthcoming event or some other ones that are on the horizon. So thank you so much. It sounds like a blast and uh, good for you guys. Good luck.
6: Yes, thank you so much.
1: Thank you.
2: Bye.
1: Bye bye. All right. Coming up on WF The Music Kicks Back In with Scott Elliott. From noon to 3 p.m. A glorious three hours of music followed by Robin Hooper with another three hours of music and we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. Meanwhile, on this show, at the moment, as the prize for Name That Animal Tune, I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this ukulele-minded animal song. 813-239-9663 Let's name that animal tune on Talking Animals Alright, if you can name that animal tune We'll take your guests off the air Because we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals On WMNF Tampa Hope you'll join me next Wednesday when my guest will be Tom Mustel, author of the new book, How to Speak Whale. He's also a filmmaker and wearer of many hats. You might remember an interview with him a few years back on Talking Animals. He was the guy that was kayaking with a friend, and a whale breached and landed on them. So he's got many things to say, and it's a cool book. That's next Wednesday on Talking Animals on WMF. Scott Elliott's up next after NPR News headlines. We'll see you next Wednesday on Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Thanks.